Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. everyone and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah, one of the hosts, and Helen's not with me this week because we have one of our special episodes where we have a guest. So delighted to welcome Michelle Morgan with us today. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Michelle. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Michelle and about how we met, ask Michelle a few questions about her career, because today's topic is all about mental health. And I actually hadn't didn't have to prepare too many questions for today because our listeners and our followers obviously a topic that they're really fascinated in got lots of questions so I feel that I kind of owe it to them to make sure that we get through everybody's questions but Michelle and I have known each other for a little while but have spent more time together recently when I trained to be a mental health first aider back in January and I've talked about that before on the podcast about how interesting I found that as a learning experience how much it opened up my eyes to um, all of the different kind of mental health challenges that people experience things that I've experienced myself in the past so, Michelle, perhaps you'd just like to start by telling us how did you get into kind of the world of being a trainer for mental health and a bit about your squiggly career, given we're talking about squiggly careers today? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I was thinking about this in, <laughs> in preparation for our conversation and my career has been so squiggly. Ah, we, lo- um, we love a squiggler. <laughs> yeah, I, it, really, it really has. And it used to be something that I wasn't particularly proud of mm. because the first bit of my career was so, so squiggly and confusing and complex. But I now know that that's shaped everything that I've become and what I do now. So I wasn't terribly academic right. at school. I failed most of my exams woefully. I went to college but didn't go to college, so got chucked out of college. <laughs> and, uh, and actually started my first business probably at about the age of 16. Oh, Wow. Yeah, which was washing cars. Right. <laughs> Going down to the local car park and yeah, offering to wash people's cars as they went off for their commute into the city. And I look back now and see there were a lot of clues there. It was a really important moment for me because working really hard, kind of having yeah. to do a bit of hustling and selling and then getting paid some cash and building up that envelope of cash at the end of the day and kind of feeling like you'd done a really hard day's work was kind of really important to me. At the same time, I was also volunteering for Bernardo's and working with kids on a regular basis. And so I guess really early on, I had these clues that I wanted to do something quite purposeful. But also, I quite liked doing that thing for myself that kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit then after that my first proper job I guess (laughs) was typing right yeah back in the 90s 
I did a typing course and, and again, it sounds really boring in many ways. And, and I guess I looked back and feel a bit embarrassed about that. I was just a typist. <laughs> but it opened up so many doors for me because I was able to get temping jobs in the city and earn money quite quickly. Yeah. And that enabled me to then go off to my university of life, which was travelling around the world for a year. Nice. And then I came back and ended up in Brighton. I worked at the Evening Argus, which was a local paper selling classified advertising space. Brilliant grounding for yeah. any entrepreneur. And moved on from there to work at the local job centre, found myself in the marketing department. Mm. So realised that actually I quite liked this world of communicating to people. Hopped over to the careers service, worked in the careers service for a little while. Really enjoyed working with young people and helping young people into their what next. And then went to Hong Kong. Oh, right, okay. uh, as you do. <laughs> from Brighton to Hong yeah, Kong. from Brighton to Hong Kong. And did that funny thing that you do sometimes when you're in a different country, which is somehow you blag your way into the kind of job, the kind of career that you, you might not have had yeah. you just sort of been at home following traditional routes into work. And I ended up in an advertising agency. And this was in about 1995, so it was just before the handover. So it was a super interesting time to be there. There was lots of print. We, it was very, very creative. And so in a year, in a very short while, I built this fantastic portfolio of work and experience, came back, came into Soho, was able to, with my portfolio, walk into an agency job that I would never have been able to do yeah. had I not gone to Hong Kong and got that experience. Worked in a wonderful agency for five years, built up the, all of the youth side of their accounts and clients. And then this was kind of in about the year 2000. The truth is I was a really good youth marketeer and it was lots of fun and I was in my mid to late 20s. Uh, but essentially... I was pretty good at flogging fizzy drinks and expensive <laughs> trainers to yeah. young people. And it was just at the time when Naomi Klein's No Logo had come out. Oh, I really remember reading that. Yeah. yeah, loving it. And those little rumblings of corporate social responsibility. Yeah. And what are our values? And what do we stand for? And as a brand or as a business, is it possible to make a difference and not just slightly on the side have a charity that we support? So the spotlight was being put on Nike for their supply yeah. chain for the first time or the first kind of bubblings were happening around Sony PlayStation and devices and games and what's the impact of these devices versus real play. And I met my who was to become my business partner, Sam Conniff, and we had this meeting of minds and, and we wondered in a line, could you have a socially responsible youth marketing agency? So we met up whilst we were doing our day jobs. We yeah. met up in the evenings and the weekends. Doing, doing the side hustle before. Doing the side before hustle. Before that was a in cool the year 2000. <laughs> Didn't call it a side hustle at the time. Just um, more but, work. Just more work. <laughs> but, but really exciting work. Really, really exciting conversations. And, you know, we were testing out, actually, do we like working with one another? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting um, that you didn't really know each other that well before you started running a business together. We didn't know, you know, this idea literally happened over a coffee. Yeah. Um, and the next, and I went home that night after the first time I met Sam, I went home that night, I was living with my sister at the time and I said, it's going to sound really weird, but I met this bloke today and I think I should start a business with him. <laughs> uh, and called him the next day and said, you know, can we meet up again? I, actually, I think what we've got is really complimentary and I think we could create a really different kind of agency together. 
And so we met up in the evenings and the weekends and developed the idea. And could you have this business that was led by its audience, that was led by young people? Could we create a business where we were still taking a brief from a client and delivering a campaign that delivered brand benefits and business benefits? But could it also and always deliver some kind of social benefit to young people as well? So that was the challenge that we set ourselves. We went to the HSBC Bank in Brixton (laughs) and presented our business plan to Dave Malcolm. Oh, you still remember his name? Yeah, totally. I mean, he was such an important part in in our life. And we got a small government back loan and it essentially gave us six months. We had six months to see if this thing would work. Right. Um, yeah, so we started in 2001. And so you're now, uh, are you kind of now in a sort of more non-exec type role at Liberty, is that right? Yeah, so I led Liberty with Sam for the first 16 years. Yeah. And then in 2016, and we had decided to lead Liberty through a social investment deal. And I was doing that and really enjoying that. But it was just one of those years. Yeah. My story... Because of the deal, I was kind of working even longer hours. And then quite soon into the deal, I developed what I fondly named investment headache, which was a permanent headache that I would go to bed with and wake up with, that then developed into tinnitus. But there were other things. So I had quite a lot of physical things that were going on for me, which hadn't really had any diagnosis. And that, you know, in truth, I wasn't really looking after myself. I wasn't being proactive to find out what the root issues were. But um, the model was under pressure. Um, My daughter had started secondary school, which wasn't a problem at all. A big moment, though. It was a big moment. and, And actually, she loved secondary school. And I think in that first year, she she joined up literally every single extracurricular club that she could join. So <laughs> she went all out. She went all out. So the the plate spinning of running a business yeah. and being a parent just felt like it actually it became a bit more complicated in that year. My husband, Remy, is an artist. Yeah. His career was just really massively taking off at that moment. So he was away, he was abroad a lot. So more plate spinning. Yeah. I had a few issues in the in the business that were people issues that Ordinarily, people challenges are challenges and they're yeah. not always a joy to deal with. But in isolation, I probably would have got through that okay. But these felt... There's more stuff, basically. It just felt more stuff. So what I said to myself was, you know, when we close the deal, I'm going to start looking after myself. I'm going to sort this headache out. I'm going to yeah. get to the root causes. And actually, you know, I need to do that thing that I've probably been telling myself for 20 years. I need to create a few more boundaries yeah. you know, between work and not in work it took a bit longer to close the deal but we finally closed it in the august and then i did that really smart businesswoman thing i thought well the first hundred days of any new relationship is so important oh no (laughs) (laughs) so i'll just get the first hundred days done yeah and then I'm going to sort out this headache and i'm going to start looking after this yeah so you know just that classic thing of kind of just working too hard and not putting myself first and I worked out it was on day 105 so it was just at the beginning of December our house was being packed up because we were doing a renovation on our house as well you know just 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 something else one more thing (laughs) and uh and the guys were packing up our house and by this stage I'd I got some kind of viral infection so I you know I definitely had a temperature and I just finally hit that wall and I I hit that wall 
violently and it felt suddenly. Yeah. I often say suddenly, but it wasn't suddenly really. I think it had no. been clearly building for a long time. And I sat at the bottom of my stairs and I just remember thinking, I, I just can't go on. And it felt incredibly frightening and it felt disproportionately frightening to having a temperature and yeah. feeling a bit tired. And I, I knew that I needed to talk to my GP, probably just to get some antibiotics to sort the physical stuff out. And, and I called my GP and I don't know about your experience with your GP, but usually you have to call at eight o'clock. Yes. But amazingly on this day I called, I may do sometimes think you know, the universe was looking out for me maybe at that moment. And I called and they said, actually, we've got an appointment in 15 minutes if you can get here. And so I got down to my GP and clearly physically I wasn't well and yeah. she needed to give me some antibiotics. Yeah, no biggie, really. But I look back now and I really, you know, I couldn't stop crying. I was just in front of her and sobbing and sobbing. And I kind of remember almost thinking, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to stop crying. <laughs> I think this might be me now. Um, and I guess what that did is it kind of triggered a number of conversations. So it was interesting to me that... Um, eventually found out that actually what I had physically was a huge fibroid, which is a benign mm. tumour. Uh, and they're a bit of a funny unknown thing, but there's increasing evidence that it could be stress-related. Right. And so that fibroid had become quite big, um, was causing me to have really, really heavy periods that were right. becoming quite debilitating. And actually, I'd lost so much blood over that year that I had quite severe anemia, which had gone undiagnosed, okay. even though I'd, I'd seen GPs about various things. And that's why I had permanent headache. Yeah, And that's yeah. why I had tinnitus. But I had also been operating on a much lower red blood count than I should have for a very long time. So, my, you know, my immune system was pretty shot to pieces and it was always interesting to me when I look back it was much easier for me to talk to the board about my heavy periods my fibroid the hysterectomy that yeah. I had finally decided that, that that's what I needed to do to draw a line under those physical health issues that I'd been facing for a number of years so my impending loss of fertility it was much easier to talk about those things than it was my mental health. Yeah. And I had flagged, I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about my mental health. I'd, I had flagged that over those few weeks. And if I look back, and I'm complicit in this, it was a bit of a tumbleweed moment. And then a few weeks later, I said, oh, getting to the bottom of the health, the physical health issues. Mm -hmm. And it was almost kind of a collective sigh of relief oh, well, we knew there must be something wrong. Yeah, well, it's so much easier to understand, isn't yeah. it, when it's a physical thing that probably people have heard of, Yeah, people have talked about before. They can go and look up. Yeah. You know, people can... It's easier yeah, to they can Google get, it. And... Yeah, they can get their heads around that. Yeah. But, you know, let's face it, no one wants to talk about heavy periods around the boardroom table. So I think it just is a stark example of how much stigma there is around mental health. You know, yeah. if we're all much more comfortable talking about hysterectomies, someone's loss of fertility and their really heavy periods yeah. than just how depression and anxiety. Yeah. You know, it just is just such a stark example of how much stigma there is. Anyway, I took some time out. It was brilliant to take time out. And I, I was very, very fortunate that financially mm -hmm, that you could, I yeah. could. I'm always really grateful for that. And I know that not everyone has that opportunity. But what happened next was 
by creating the space, I realised actually th- this is kind of a big moment of reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 16 years into building Liberty, which was not an easy model no. to build or prove. But I kind of knew I think I need to change my relationship with the business. And I kind of almost then entered a, a next stage of that burnout. And I just kind of went into a place of kind of extreme anxiety. Right. Because I had also just pledged in this new deal to help lead the business for the next four or five yeah. years. And it was like almost I realised it was a couple of years too late. I just felt spent. Yeah. Worn out. I just felt really frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt frightened mostly about what on earth would I do, though, if I didn't do Liberty? Yeah. Well, having spent 16 years investing your heart, soul, time, energy, money into something, it feels like a really big transition to then think, well, especially if it's not something you've necessarily planned. It's very different, I think, if you're thinking, oh, I know what my exit strategy is. I know what's going to happen. Whereas actually, it sounds like there was a year where lots of stuff kind of happened to you, a lot of it out of your control. And then suddenly you're going, okay, well, I know I can't do what I was doing before, but that doesn't mean I'm really clear about what next. And that's quite a lonely, isolating place to be. Absolutely. Did you feel like you could, um, one of our listeners was actually asking about how to talk to like family and friends about mental health. Did you find that you could talk to family and friends and that was easier than the work conversations or actually is that still just as difficult because it's still, it's talked about a lot more now, you know, mental health and there's been lots of publicity, there's lots more charities now around it, but it's still not a day-to-day conversation that lots of people are used to having. I had to talk to my husband about it because yeah. my husband knew. And actually, again, if I look back, you know, there was something very, very unhealthy about that year before mm. before the December and then I burned out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, it wasn't a surprise, really, although it was a surprise to me. But there was a big chunk of that year that I would go home and spend the evening crying. Mm, that, okay. That's the truth. In the morning, I would wake up and I would put my leadership brave yeah. face on and go in and and get through the day and then come home and just feel very, very highly emotional Mm -hmm. about lots of different things. And so I was already talking to Rem, but then at at that moment of kind of big burnout and then taking time out and then falling into this almost a wormhole of horror Mm. where I thought I cannot see a future. And there were two kind of expressions of not being able to see a future one was through that sense of anxiety so I became quite paranoid I had really bad insomnia which I had not really experienced very much before a couple of times maybe but I'm actually a pretty good sleeper which I'm grateful for but now I was awake in the middle of the night so there was the expression of, of anxiety and for me I sort of describe it as feeling everything Yes, times yeah. 100 but it, it looks and feels like different things to different people anxiety mm-hmm. and then on the complete and utter flip side actually I had depression as well and for me depression was utterly feeling nothing right. so just the total opposite of the anxiety so you have at the and same I would, time right? I would kind between of the flip between the two now I can't, I can't really tell you how often no. I was flipping but I do know that I was experiencing 
signs and symptoms for both of those different types of mental illness. And yeah, so that was just really horrible. There was a, a very important moment for me. Um, one of the things that I had done to try and help myself was I'd bought Ruby Wax's book Frazzled. Yeah. Which is you know, lots of her story and about her own experience of uh, mental illness. And so I, w- I was reading Ruby's book and, and there's a moment in the book where she describes falling into depression while she's writing the book Frazzled. I kind of read it and thought, hold on a sec. What I'm reading, what she's written, what she's describing is how I feel. Mm-hmm. But she's calling it depression. And that was kind of a really important moment for me because suddenly there was someone using language that I could relate to, but also this kind of almost a label that was attached to it that gave a reason, an explanation. And it was that that actually got me back to my GP in that next kind of check-in with my GP. And I said to her, I think I might have depression. I've been reading this book and this is how I feel. I guess did you also feel a bit of a sense of relief of thinking we all feel better when we can make sense of the world and when you read something that you think, oh, okay, well, that's exactly how I feel. There's this sense of kind of relevance and association that I think just feels reassuring. I found it the same when I was... um, I talked before a little bit about being on maternity leave and finding Mm. that that very difficult, particularly in the early days. Mm. And actually my friends, having not had the same experience, made me feel worse. Because I was then going, oh, you know, this is pretty awful. And for these reasons, and they'd be like, oh, okay, well, hope you're okay. But they clearly didn't, they hadn't had that same experience. Whereas actually then when I started reading, you don't even need to know the person I found, but you just need to find someone or something else that Mm. you think, oh, okay, so this is not just me. And also it gives you, I think, just reassurance there's probably like a way through it. Absolutely. I think that was the other thing for me was going, oh, okay, well, it's okay to not be okay, as people talk about now, which I think is a really helpful statement. It is okay not to be okay. And also realising that there's not like a quick fix. I think that was a big thing for me is actually when you've got, when you're experiencing any kind of mental health challenge, which is maybe where it's slightly different, I think, sometimes to physical challenges, not all of them, but sometimes with physical illness, you do get better. There is a point where you're like, I wasn't very well and I'm now better again. Whereas I do wonder whether some of the challenges around mental health are you can kind of get better, but it's almost like it's not like a permanent state. These things are kind of more impermanent and they sort of flow mm. and it's, and I, I don't know, it's more difficult to describe, mm. but I just wonder whether actually now people understanding that it's okay to not be okay, mm-hmm. that feels to me like a really fundamental shift in terms of how people are approaching mental health yeah. at work generally. I sort of see that people are much more able to sort of talk about, I'm not okay and this is why, but they feel all right about that. Yeah, Certainly five years ago, Anyone I worked with would never have talked about mental health. Whereas actually now I would say I have conversations with people at work about mental health monthly. Yeah. Which is actually not a surprise when you look at kind of some of the stats around how many people are experiencing mental health challenges at any one period of time. Yeah, absolutely. That moment of reading Ruby's description of yeah. de- depression created a that's me moment for me. Um. And and actually that that's the mission that I'm on now is to create more of those that's me moments. Oh, that's nice. Um, because I, I think you're absolutely right. You don't have to know someone to hear their story or their experience mm. to be able to connect with it. And I find now that actually in the last two years, I've had hundreds of conversations about mental health. Yeah. Um, and one of the big things that I've learned and, and the really joyful outcomes is 
if I'm okay with it, if I'm okay talking about it, or if I'm okay with what you're you're going to tell me about your own mental health, then we can get into the conversation. We can start talking about it. And the most important thing with our mental health, whether it's good, mediocre, or poor, is the talking about it, but especially when it's poor mental health. We know it's evidence-based that talking about it is one of the best things mm. that we can do to help ourselves or to help others. So we have to find ways to talk about our mental health more easily. And it's brilliant to hear from your point of view that in business, in your day-to-day, lots more people are talking to you about about their mental health. Yeah, and I think that's the reason, actually, I decided to come on your mental health first aid mm. kind of programme. Um, so Michelle is uh, one of the qualified uh, mental health first aid kind of facilitators through Mental Health First Aid England. And it's a two-day programme that you go on where you learn really what I found was I just learned much more about mental health generally. I think I'd probably expected to maybe be quite specific about, oh, okay, how do I do a better job in my day job of when people come to me with mental health challenges, having that conversation. I'd gone with quite a practical mindset. Mm. And then I and I did learn that and a whole load more about just mental health generally. It opened up my kind of awareness and understanding of how it impacts people in different ways. And actually the other thing that surprised me was not feeling like you have to have the answer. Mm. I sometimes think particularly if you're in leadership roles and people talk to you about mental health, I think in the past I felt like my job is to try and solve that or fix it or be quite action orientated because that's what you're used to being like at work. And I think probably the conversations that we were having over those two days, it started to help me feel more comfortable in what what is my role in that moment. Mm. And as you said, often it's actually about really brilliant listening. Yeah. And it's about helping people feel comfortable mm. and, and you getting over any uncomfortableness mm. that you feel. And I felt loads of uncomfortableness over those two days when mm. we were, you know, practicing and talking to different people. I remember thinking, I had lots of those three seconds where I was going, yeah. oh, I feel quite awkward about this. I don't know this person quite that well. Yeah. I've just met them and they're about to tell me something that feels deeply personal. Yeah. And but what I found was the the, the practice, actually just having lots of those conversations, Mm. you suddenly just go, okay, well, I just need to be really present, Mm. listen, it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but just to know that you can get through that and just the power of somebody really giving you their attention, even for actually a short period of time, is so powerful. Mm. You were asking me about my family. Yes, yeah, Um, because a few people were asking about, um, you know, when you'd got mental health concerns, did you share them with your loved ones? How did your friends respond? Actually, some people asked specifically about um, talking to male yeah. partners and, and whether that dynamic in terms of gender makes any difference. You know, my husband was just so amazing during that time. And what I know now from everything that I've been through and from doing mental health first aid and then becoming an instructor is he had no judgment. Mm. You know, he hadn't done the mental health first aid course. That, that was just <laughs> him. He just let me be for a while in that broken state and he looked after me. Mm. That came very naturally to him because he's a very kind and generous person. What was more difficult was the bit that I had to do, which was accept the help. Right, okay. And surrender to that state that I was in. Yeah. And and I did I did actually need looking after and I am fiercely independent (laughs) for all kinds of different reasons well you know you started Um, car washing at 16 exactly (laughs) um and it was quite a 
big turning point in our relationship, actually. And again, one that I feel really grateful for. I mean, I, I will never say I'm I'm not grateful for having a burnout and a breakdown. But in a way, there is so much that has come out of it that is so positive. Yeah. There are changes that I've made. There are beautiful evolutions in my relationship, in my family unit, mm. um, in the new purpose that I have now, in the new business that I have yeah. now, and in the existing business of Liberty, where that is now, uh, you know, with an amazing leadership team. Yeah. Still doing really, really brilliant work that I can cheerlead and, and look in and feel really proud of. You know, there, there was a moment in in that burnout and breakdown phase that I didn't know if I could ever walk back into that business. There was a a moment and a while where I hated that business because I kind of hated what it had done to me. Mm. And, and there was a big moment as well where I realised... I didn't just feel kind of physically and mentally burnt out. I I felt like my purpose and my passion for liberty had burnt out. And we knew each other, I think, around that time. Yeah, we would have done, yeah. Um, and you know how proud I am yeah. of that business. Yeah, yeah. And, and how, you know, it, it was always, always so much fun and so much joy and so purposeful, as well as being creative and doing great mm -hmm. work and commercially successful. Not, not all the time, but that's the ups and downs yeah. of business. But at that moment of when my purpose and passion for liberty burnt out, that was a really, really horrible, frightening moment. But, you know, that now I'm two years on, mm -hmm. just over two years on from all of that. Recovery takes different amounts of time for different people, but like any physical yeah, illness. Yeah, yeah. Physical illnesses vary. Some you might develop and it might be something that you live with in terms of a physical illness, and that can be the same with a mental illness. Yeah. It might be that you have a diagnosis that is your diagnosis and that's going to be a part of you possibly forevermore. There are other incidents where someone will have a mental illness and they'll get treatment and there'll be time and there'll be recovery and actually that they will come all the way through it and back into a place of really good mental yeah. health. Um, so you can, like like a physical illness, it just varies from person to person. And like physical illness, you might be living with a mental illness, but you might be living in a place of really brilliant well mental well-being, a place of really good mental fitness. So recovery looks like different, different things, things. Yeah. to different people. But that's the big message as well is recovery is the most likely outcome. Yeah. If you experience poor mental health, if you experience mental health challenges, if you experience a mental illness with a diagnosis, in all of those scenarios, the most likely outcome is recovery. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And so let's talk to people about like why we are sitting in our pajamas. So ah, yes. this is not the first time I've done the podcast in my pajamas, but usually that is because we're Helen and I are recording at like eleven o'clock at night, <laughs> and I'm sitting in my pajamas for, for good reason. Whereas today it's probably about half past ten in the morning, and we are sitting in some very beautiful pajamas. I have to oh, say they don't they don't you. look like my pajamas at home. <laughs> so uh, we're sitting here in beautifully designed pajamas. Talk to us a bit about your new business and what you're trying to do because that's a very positive story, and I think it's a really nice link to yeah what you can get to in terms of recovery. Thank you, and yeah, it's the next part of Michelle Morgan's squiggly career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so as a resilient person. One of the things I was doing was reading Ruby's book, Yeah, uh, Frazzled, doing my mindfulness. By this stage, I'd read the book, gone back to the GP. I was then given a, a diagnosis of clinical depression. And we started talking about treatment and we explored medication. We explored talking therapies. Mm-hmm. I was just about to have the hysterectomy, a big right. operation. And I, there was a part of me that... I felt so low and so depressed and was finding it difficult to see a future, but I could see a chink of light. I felt like I will come through this, but I don't know when I'm going to come through it and I don't know what's on the other side. But I did have that hope. And so I decided that in the first instance, I would try talking therapies as a bit of a talker. You know, I thought that that could be my treatment. Just give people some examples of what a talking therapy is in case people don't don't know. Yeah, so um, talking therapies, literally it might be counselling, it might be with the trained professional. Um, And there there are lots of different types of approach. And and you might have to see a few therapists to find the right approach for you. Yeah. Stick with it. Uh, You're not always going to find the right thing for you immediately. In fact, I signed up for NHS therapies And that was a brilliant first step for me. But I have to say, and probably due to the state that I was in, it wasn't a brilliant experience for me. And so I felt I needed to find something else. And so then found a cognitive behavioural therapist. And that really worked for me. CBT, it's shorthand, doesn't work for everyone. But it is sticking with it and finding what approach works for you. Some people find it really good to explore where they've come from and what has impacted their behaviours, their thoughts, their feelings, all that part of our mental health. A lot of CBT is rooted in kind of understanding when those thought patterns are, are happening and almost having some something in your, t- your own personal toolkit that allows yeah. you to 
I call it like making a sort of a quick personal intervention. Yeah, it's on quite myself. practical, isn't it's it? CBT, practical. I think, quite action focused. So I found that that quite useful. And then one of the other things that I kind of did for myself was it, was it was a few months into it by this stage, and I kind of it was becoming quite clear that I would need to change my relationship with Liberty. Yeah. And so I was starting. We were starting to have that conversation, sort of me me in the business, but I was wanted to explore that myself as well. And what I gave myself very, very gently was permission to play with the idea, if I did it all over again, what would I do? And I thought, I sure as hell am not going to go and get a job. I'm probably unemployable anyway. (laughs) I'm sure that's not true. (laughs) I think if you you ask quite a lot of founders, Uh, you know, there's just there's something that, you know, it's the rebel inside me. I, I can't imagine it and I can't imagine who would take me on but you know that's I'm a work in progress um and I thought well actually it's a no-brainer for me I'd start another business which obviously sounds maybe not the most practical (laughs) of things when you're in a space where the business that you've you've been leading and building for the last 16 years has just worn you out and you know Um, starting a business is stressful lots of hard work I know all those sort of things Sarah I'm a work in progress um so I gave myself to, to just play with the idea and I thought, well, no brainer, I'd start another purpose led business. It's yeah. you know, it's the sort That's of model, in your DNA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. model that I believe in, one of the poster kids for it. So, you know, second rule of careers or business, it's gotta be about something you feel passionate about, something you love. Yeah. I had depression, so I didn't love anything. <laughs> I wasn't passionate about anything, so I would literally hit hit another wall. Yeah. And I would wail to Remy, my husband, Rem, I'm not passionate about anything apart from sitting in my beautiful Liberty pyjamas that you bought me for Christmas yeah. because I was spending so much time for not great reasons in my pyjamas. And oh, Lily and Rem, some beautiful ones. Had, they bought me these Aww. gorgeous pyjamas, which on my on the days where I felt like I couldn't get out the front door, I would sometimes put these pyjamas on and think if someone knocks at the door, at least, at least I, I look, look fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> and they were really lovely. And and I think in just sort of playing with this idea, I think I often describe it as sort of sometimes getting to the crossroads of where brilliance meets madness because the pyjamas that sort of represented everything that was holding me back yeah. uh, became my inspiration. And I wondered, in the first instance, I wondered if other people could see the duality of the PJ day. So there are sometimes those days where we choose to stay in mm. our pyjamas all day joyfully. We're going to read the paper, we're resting, relaxing, yeah. watch a film, and we should have more of those PJ days. Yeah, They are joyful. But for some of us, there are, are those days or those periods of life when we haven't been able to get out of our pyjamas or maybe out of the front door or maybe not even out from underneath our duvet cover. And that's poor mental health, that's depression, that's stress, that's anxiety and all the other things that come under that umbrella. And and how interesting that you can, like your pyjamas seem to represent these two different states. And, and actually, when I started talking about pyjamas, people love to tell me their, <laughs> you know, what constitutes the perfect pyjama. Um, yeah, and, and it varies, it varies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I've always sort of been personally on, on a journey to find the perfect pyjama as well. And, that, and so I just wonder, could you make beautiful pyjamas in the most kind and caring way because supply chain in any business, but yeah. certainly the fashion industry, as I Very tough. quite quickly started to understand the fashion industry comes only, I think, second to the oil industry in terms of impact on people and planet. Yeah. 
So that in itself is a mental health issue all the way through the supply chain. And at that time, art was a really important part of my recovery. And I would lose myself in a beautiful picture up on the wall. and, And that was a really good way of calming sometimes my chattering mind. And so I wonder, could you create beautiful, sustainable pyjamas designed by amazing artists? So you'd almost be a walking work of art. And could we use the product, the packaging, the platform and the people around that business almost as a Trojan horse to deliver messages of hope and help to people, to deliver kind of resources and signposting? And ultimately, I guess the mission of the business, of PJOYS, is to make mental health an everyday conversation so that no one has to ever feel like it's awkward to yeah. have a conversation about mental health. But yeah, we we did a crowdfunder at the end of last year and smashed our target. Yeah. And and for me that was a really important part of kind of testing the viability of the business. So yeah, other yeah. people get that duality. Do they get the message? Do they love pajamas? Do they love art? Would they pay more money for something that is made in the most kind and caring, sustainable way. We then launched properly to the world with a website, pjoys.co.uk, which has also lots of resources and also lots of stories. So again, finding ways to create more of those that's me moments. So, you know, beautiful, normal human beings talking about how poor mental health has affected them in different ways. And being able to share those stories through PJOYS and also share resources and signpost people to things that might help fills me with, literally fills me with joy. Oh, so it's kind of come full circle in terms of what you've managed to do, I guess, is find joy and almost your version of recovery in terms of where, where you are in that from those challenges that you have, Absolutely. which I think is incredible for people to hear that it's not kind of being fixed, is it? I think I kind of hasten to go, oh, the sort of light at the end of the tunnel, because I don't think, I think it's too complicated and squiggly to almost think of it Absolutely. in that way. But what is interesting is you just talking about kind of your your journey in that way. And quite a few people are asking actually questions around um, how do they speak to managers at work if they have got kind of mental health challenges? I think there's probably quite a few individuals who feel like either they have got anxiety is the most common one that certainly I see people asking about or talking about or it might be kind of other mental health challenges and you know if you've got a mental health first aider at work Mm. I guess that just is really helpful because you are signaling as a business that you're investing in this and you've got people who are who've at least spent time thinking about how they do it but lots of businesses I guess don't have that yet so if you're in one of those businesses where you're thinking I'm not sure how my manager is going to react but I do want to talk to them about it. What would you suggest to people in terms of like how to start that conversation? I don't want to be too flippant about this. It's scary. Because on the one hand, you know, I am up on my high horse saying, actually, you know, when you start talking about your mental health, it doesn't have to be awkward. I also am saying that from a place of privilege of all kinds of things. And, you know, and I'm on my own journey with it. You know, is a massive issue for business. It is a massive, massive challenge. The cost of mental health to business is something like thirty-five billion. Yeah. In the UK, the the cost of mental health to the UK is something like ninety-six billion. Actually, the cost to business is probably even greater because we can start to calculate what the cost of business is 
if people are being able to talk about their poor mental health, and that might be characterised as absenteeism, but yes, presenteeism. Yeah. So this yeah. is where people are just... They're physically there, they're, but they're not physically mentally there. there. Yeah. They're showing up, you know, a little bit like my experience in 2016, yeah. where I was... You know, like you, say, you kind of made it to work for the day, but yeah, yeah. Breaking every night, getting better enough to put that mask on and, and go, There's, there are hundreds and thousands of people that are doing that every day and that does break my heart a bit. Yeah. And there are all different kinds of businesses and organisations that have all different kinds of cultures and that will also have lot, their own different policies, their own processes, their own types of provision. I can't say to you, just talk to someone about yeah. it. Because I don't know where you work and I don't know who you work for and I don't know how it's going to land. But we are protected by the law. Yeah. So let's remind ourselves of this as business leaders, as business owners, as leaders of organisations. Actually, there is the Health and Safety Act of 1974, I think okay. it is. And we've got the Equality Act as well and, and disability and mental health and mental illness will fall under both of those laws mm -hmm. in many ways. So it is the responsibility of employers to look after the health of the people working for them, whether that be their physical health or their mental health. That said, a lot of it is at a cultural level. So yeah. I think there's a big leadership job to be done and, I, and, and there are lots of really good organisations and lots of brilliant role models who are starting to talk about either their own experience of poor mental health or they're leading the charge within their businesses. And you've got to get your policies and your processes and your provisions right. There's not, it's not about one thing that you can do. I mean, if it's one thing, it's commit to taking the whole thing on yeah, and doing yeah, it yeah. properly. And you might not be able to do it all at once. Who in the business, maybe it's not just about who your manager is. Yeah, I agree. To answer the question. Yeah. Brilliant if you've got a mental health person. Who do you trust in the business? Is it someone on the, the HR team, the talent team, the people team? Mm -hmm. Is it a peer in the business? Is, is there someone more senior but maybe isn't your direct yeah, your line boss, manager? Yeah. Who can you trust to have a conversation with about how you're feeling? Because that early intervention is so important and that makes a lot of business sense for a business as yeah, well. Yeah. So we have to remove the awkward. We have to find ways to be able to have these conversations because in the long run if we help people to get help more quickly they will most likely get better more quickly and that's got to be good for business as well and and not only that I think there's kind of a next level which is for me really exciting I am absolutely convinced that since I've been talking about my own experience of poor mental health and also the things that I do that give me good mental yeah. health as well I find that I build deeper more meaningful relationships with human beings yeah, yeah. far more quickly you know when I've, I've faced quite a lot of things over the last two years when I eventually had my operation actually I had a massive hemorrhage after the operation went back into theatre for five hours I remember I remember lying there I remember them saying hold on Michelle stay with us and I remember thinking I do want to hold on. Yeah. I do want to stay here. I don't want to die. You know, my recovery has taken two years and and I'm probably still recovering. And I still definitely have, you know, really challenging moments and, and days. But 
because I, I just feel much more equipped now to recognise the signs, recognise the patterns and make little interventions on myself. And what sort of, you talked about um, you feel better equipped now to make those interventions to do the things that help you with kind of positive kind of mental health. What do those things, are those like practical things? Are those just giving yourself, like you say, being more aware of not working too hard? Because I think for lots of people, I guess listening to what you've got to say, the thing it really makes me think is what you should also be kind of going, prevention is kind of better than cure. So as in, you don't want to get to that point. You know, in an ideal world, you don't want to get to the point where you burn out. And, yeah. and you know, obviously benefit of hindsight is always amazing. Mm-hmm. But do you think there are things that almost like we should all be doing that probably fit slightly under under the, um, you know, like self-care? Everyone talks about self-care. And I think actually it's a good thing. I can see that people are taking self-care more seriously to prevent some of the things like they know they have either suffered with in the past mm-hmm. or aware that might be something that could mm-hmm. be a challenge for them in the future. Is it things like exercise and Definitely. eating the right things is it as simple as that or are there kind of bigger things that you do well, it's all on a scale right and um, so it depends what's going on for you I mean I think you know we I feel really hopeful and optimistic because things like self-care you know mm. are having you know that moment of yeah, noise are, yeah. and escalation as is let's talk about mental health yeah it should be about prevention prevention being better than cure so what are the little shifts that you can make from exercise to what is your way of talking, you know, yeah. who can you trust, who can you talk to on a regular basis. It doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist, but yeah. are you finding ways to talk about how you're feeling? Nutrition, I think we will see mm. that increasingly important, the relationship between our gut and our brain and our bodies and our minds. Yeah. I think there's some really exciting things that, that we can do already, but I think that will grow as well. You know, how we work, how we, you know, setting up new businesses yeah, or changing existing businesses, how we help people disconnect, how we help people take space, how we help make sure people take all of their holiday. Yeah, I've just yeah. come out of two days of mental health first aid training and in a really beautiful business that has got such a strong culture and their output is amazing. But those individuals... You know, there were people who were kind of admitting, I don't take all of my holiday. Right, yeah. Um, and that's not because the business is saying you can't take your holiday. But so how as businesses and leaders do we make sure people are breaking and creating space? Because actually, you know, that is better for the business as well. They'll come up yeah. with better, better ideas, better thinking. You know, I always have my best ideas, probably. Yeah, when you're away doing something different, yeah. going for a walk in the shower. Yeah. And actually just moving on to the business question quite a few people were asking about um how do you start a business and avoid the kind of burnout so lots of people who particularly follow us on instagram maybe freelancers or running their own businesses um in some way shape or form and often i do think it's people entrepreneurs people in that you're having to do you know wear millions of different hats and you enjoy that and you like that but equally that's probably where the risk of stress is potentially sometimes higher are there things, now that you're kind of setting up another business, probably your fifth mm. or sixth business, are there things that you're doing differently this time around, almost to kind of prevent that, given some of the kind of challenges that you've had? Because of the purpose of the business, because of where it has come from yeah. through my own experience, because of what we're trying to put out to the world, I am constantly reminded every day 
about my own mental health and looking after my own mental health. I mean, it is so super stressful at the moment. Right. Being in startup yeah. mode it is, you know, and I am learn, you know, having to learn so quickly, and there is a new challenge every day. But that is also what I love. Yeah, um, I do love going on that journey, and actually, I love work. When I mm. feel very purposeful in my work, I love working. I don't feel yet that I need to find a bunch of hobbies. No. You know, for me, the work bit sometimes is a kind of hobby in a way. But then there are those moments where it does feel really, really stressful. I it, Again, it's just about noticing. Mm-hmm. It's about noticing and making adjustments and not beating myself up if I just have to... Something doesn't get done this week. Yeah, it's probably okay. If something doesn't get done in the next six months, is more likely yeah. to be the case. But we'll get there. So if people want to find out more about kind of mental health, want to learn more. So we've talked today about they can go on PJs um, and as well as your beautiful pyjamas, which have been so comfortable to wear. I really, I can't believe I'm going to have to get changed back out of them for the rest of my day. (laughs) Stay in them. I find it quite disappointing. (laughs) So they can go on PJs and yes, the pyjamas, but there's also lots of resources on there. Mm. And I love following you on uh, Instagram because you also post those lovely little cards, which are like simple reminders. Um, So that's really nice. Thank you. Um, Mental health first aid england um yeah. have some really good resources yes um what about if people want to become a mental health first aider how oh. can they find out more well that you can go to mhfaengland.org yeah. and um if you're a big business, a business then yeah. um, that's something that their national team can help you with but on mhf england you'll also see lots of independent mhfa England trained instructors yeah. will post their open courses oh, okay. um, or you can contact me. Well, that's what I was going to say. Can people, can people contact you Absolutely. on LinkedIn or yeah. where do you want people so, to get in touch? Uh, you can contact me on LinkedIn, Michelle Morgan, or on Twitter. I'm at Michelle Morgan or via PJoys. We're at PJoys on Twitter and at PJoys on Instagram. So any of those channels, please feel free to contact me. And, and if I can't help you, I can definitely, I've got brilliant, a brilliant cohort of instructors that I trained with. So I can always point you in the right direction to them. Or I can connect you to MHF England, who have a brilliant team centrally. So there's lots of ways. There's no excuse. And, you know, in many ways, it's not just a tick box for a business to do mental health first aid. It can be transformational for you as an individual. You'll be able to provide that support yes to your colleagues but also to your family to your friends and and I think this is the really it's often the surprising bit but probably the most beautiful bit for me is I see the journey that people go on for those two days to be a great mental health first aider you have to look after your own mental health Mm -hmm. first and foremost Um, and I think people really get the opportunity to think about that and almost re-pledge themselves if they're not in that brilliant place of self-care and awareness, it gives you that permission to kind of kickstart looking after your own mental health. Yeah, and I think the conclusion I've come to is I think it's really helpful that we're talking about mental health, but that really there's just health and that health is physical health, is mental health. And so even if you're listening to this and thinking you've not experienced necessarily challenges personally um, around mental health or it's not something you're as familiar with, I would really encourage you to look at some of those resources or think about becoming a mental health first aider because it is relevant for 
everyone. Mm. And I can guarantee that at some point in your life, you, your friends, your family, the people you work with will have some of these challenges, just like people have physical health challenges. And so the more you know, the more you can take the right steps for yourself, but mm. also that you can support others. So yeah, it's um, an incredibly, I think now it's you know much more accessible than it was. It's really easy to kind of find out about things. And it's a subject that I hope people will keep talking about because I think everyone is just better for it. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Michelle. It's been so lovely to hear your story. Tim, more about your story. I didn't know some of the things around car washing, so that's been really nice. <laughs> and I really appreciate how generous and honest you've been in kind of sharing your own experiences because I think people listening often, you know, anyhow, I knew you as just a very successful purpose-led entrepreneur who I just thought, oh, I'd like to be a bit like Michelle one Aww. day when I grow up. Maybe maybe that'll be me. And actually, you know, and particularly in time of kind of social media, people see sometimes mm. the shiny veneer and it's really good, I think, for people to hear that those things are not always a straight line, mm. that things are squiggly mm. and sometimes those squiggly things also get knotty. And that's yeah. the word that we often use when we yeah. kind of go, squiggly careers are great when they're mm-hmm. full of creativity and opportunity and freedom, mm. but there are times where they do get knotty mm. um, and you've been very generous in sharing your knottiness. Oh. So thank you for coming on. Um, I've loved talking to you this morning. I've loved being here. Thank, thank you, you for having me. So thanks again to Michelle. Just as a reminder, we are going to run a competition so that you can win some of the beautiful pyjamas that we talked about in the episode. So if you follow us on Instagram, just at AmazingIf, you'll be able to see a picture of me in the pyjamas and Michelle in a different design of the pyjamas. And we'll run a competition where you just need to comment, tell us why you'd like to win some beautiful pyjamas. We'll pick a winner at random um, and send them to you. And they come in a beautiful box. They're such a lovely treat. And if you were interested in finding out more, we'll make sure that with the podcast, when it goes live, there'll be a link to a blog post and that'll have all of the resources where you can go to find out more. So if you were listening and didn't manage to scribble down some of those things, uh, we'll make sure all of that is available for you. As ever, thank you to everyone who keeps commenting, uh, sharing it with other people, rating and reviewing us. We really appreciate it. We always say it makes our day and actually linking to the conversation today does give us that little moment of joy. So um, please do do that if you don't already. Um, I will continue to do that and we'll speak to you again next week. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.